All right, so tonight I want to speak on what the Spirit of God has instructed me to speak on, on how to avoid destiny and marketplace mistakes. How to avoid destiny and marketplace mistakes. I want to start out by saying tonight that to avoid destiny and marketplace mistakes, you must learn how to make right decisions, right, when it comes to matters of destiny and how to make right decisions when it comes to the marketplace. And whether we like it or not, you know, this affects every one of us. Every one of us, we're going to play in the marketplace. You're going to have one thing or the other to do in the marketplace, whether as a career person, whether as a business person, right? And even if you say, you know what, I'm not, a, I'm not in the marketplace, right? We still need to make decisions when it comes to matters of destiny. And every one of us, we have a destiny in God. I believe you know that. And all through scripture, you see, you will see men and women making decisions. Um, some making right decisions, some making wrong decisions, some making right decisions, making the wrong decisions. And they ended up correcting their, their errors and now making, <clears throat> making right decisions. We see that in the life of Saul. We see that in the life of Amnon. We see that in the life of Samson. They all made mistakes that costed them their lives and their destiny. You see, Saul, God chose him and made him king over Israel. But Saul kept making the same mistake over and over again until he got to a point where his conscience became so seared that even when he was being corrected, he no longer paid attention to the correction. Saul was not supposed to end his life the way he ended his life. It was amazing what David said when he had the news, right, that Saul had died at the battlefield. He said he, did, he died as if he was not anointed. It simply means that as a believer or as one that is anointed, right, um, on the, in their days, they were anointed with oil before they could come, you see, into the place, right, of leadership, especially when it came to kingship. But you see, you and I today, we have the Holy Ghost on our inside. And what the oil did when the oil came upon them, right, was to allow the indwelling, or should I say the spirit to come upon them, not the indwellings, right? It's to allow the Holy Ghost to come upon them for function, for operation. You see, but you and I today, we have the Holy Ghost living on our inside, indwelling us. And so it simply means that there are certain mistakes that people have made, especially in scriptures that we should not make. They had no precedent. You and I today, we have the Holy Ghost. We have the Bible, right? We have pastors. Under the old covenant, they didn't have pastors. And that's why in Jeremiah 3 and verse 15, it was a prophecy. God said, I will give you pastors after my own heart. Who will feed you with knowledge and understanding? He didn't say, I have given you. He said, I will give you. So he was talking about what was going to happen after the death, the burial, and the ascension of Christ. That's what the Bible says that after he rose, he gave gifts unto men. He said some, you know, evangelists and prophets, not in the order in which it was written. I'm just saying it to my own order. Pastors, teachers, he said prophets, evangelists. He said he gave, you see, what does it literally means is that he gave men as gifts. So you and I today, we have several things to refer to. We have several precedents. It simply means there are certain mistakes people made in scriptural days that you and I shouldn't be making today. So Saul kept making mistake after mistake. And a time came in his life that God just said, you know what? I've rejected this guy. I've rejected him. Even the day Samuel walked up to him, after he offered up the sacrifice that was not in his own place to offer, the Bible says he was waiting for Samuel to show up and Samuel was delayed in coming. And after, <laughs> you see, I strongly believe the devil was against his destiny. Because the Bible says that the moment he offered the sacrifice, then Samuel showed up. So it simply means if he had waited a little longer, right, someone would have come. But the Bible says that when someone showed up, he said, what have you done? You have done foolishly. And he said, because of this that you have done, God has taken away the throne from you. And you know what the stupid man said? He said, you know what, no problem. But still walk out with me. Because as a king, once the priest is seen with you, is a sign of endorsement and approval. So he said, no problem if God has rejected me. But still play the game. Play the pretense. Just walk out with me. Let people see us together. And someone said, this guy does not even get what is happening. But did you know that when God rejected him, he didn't die immediately? It still took a while. And that's the same thing you and I need to understand. That when we are making our decisions, the effect does not show up immediately. 
good decisions, bad decisions, their effect does not show immediately. And that's why oftentimes it seems as if there is no difference between the man making right decisions and the man making wrong decisions. We also see in the life of Amnon, right? During the course of the year, I've mentioned Amnon several times. So by now everybody should know who Amnon is, right? <laughs> Amnon was the head to David. But you see, he made a mistake that costed him not just the throne, but also costed him his life. Another person was Samson. Samson was meant to be Israel's judge, but he died prematurely. He didn't fulfill the reason why God anointed him, why God gave him that much strength. So, let me see, um, Samson should have done more. The Bible says, well, anyway, he killed more Philistines at his death than when he was alive. But you see, he should have lived longer. He should have died in a ripe old age. But because of the error, the mistakes he kept making, mistake after mistake, and the mistake of Samson was one of his greatest weakness was women. Right? And he never dealt with it. Let me tell you this. Any weakness you have that you don't deal with will eventually deal with you. You hear what I just said? Any weakness that you permit, the moment you identify an area of weakness, it's just like, you know, even in boxing, any professional and expert boxer knows, once I find the weak spot and the pain point of my opponent, once I eat him at that place and I realize, oh, this is a weak point, wisdom says keep eating him at that point. Not at another point. And that's what the devil also does. The moment you realize that an area of life is a place of weakness, it will keep, you see, eating you at that same spot if you don't deal with it until everything eventually falls apart. But that will not be you in Jesus' name. I want us to realize that mistakes are not equal in impact and effect. Some mistakes you can easily cause correct. But there are certain mistakes that can make an indelible mark on your life and your destiny and often leave a scar behind. You see, because people have this mindset that oh, even if I make a mistake, I can always, you know, I can always, you know, just correct myself. I'm going to share with us something tonight. You know, it wasn't part of my message originally, but, you know, as the service started, the Spirit of God just impressed this upon my heart that I should share with us. Let me tell you this. There are seasons and faces of life. And if you're not going to take notes throughout this message, what I'm about to list out for us, I want you to write it down. So that you will know the face of life in which you are in. See, there are seasons in life where certain mistakes are acceptable. There are seasons you get to that your mistakes must become so minimal. The mistake you make when you are very young, you can't be making those same mistakes when you are older. You see, the older you grow, the lesser life becomes patient with you when it comes to making certain mistakes. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There are different types of mistakes people make. People make financial mistakes, right? Maybe with their money. You can be, see, you can be making financial mistakes at a certain age and phase of your life. There is a stage of life you get to that when you start making, you keep making financial mistakes, it's a suicidal act you are engaging in. So let me tell you this. It's not everyone, every beggar you see on the streets or at bus parks that had it rough all their lives. Some of them live good lives. Some of them lived in lovely houses. Some of them had good cars. But they kept making wrong financial decisions. And what gives you the audacity to think that cannot be you? somebody hear what I'm saying? I've seen people live good lives and end up badly. Why? Because something just tells them that it will always be like this. Never forget, you will not always have the strength of youth you have now to make money. You will not always have the energy to run up and down. Some of us, maybe you have parents that are aged or parents that are no longer working and sometimes when they call you, you know, maybe, you know, in your family, they believe in black tax. They believe that I've sent you to school, now you must take care of me. And you are complaining. Anytime you see your parents or maybe a family member's number, an older person, you cut their call or maybe you switch off your phone and you are complaining. Let me tell you this. If you are not careful, the pattern can repeat itself in your life. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying? Because years ago, if somebody had told them they would also be like that, they would not believe it. And if you ask them, how do you know? They'll say, I know God is good. God is good is not a strategy for your future. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Ah, it's not, a, it's not a good enough strategy. We know God is good, but God is good and people have been failing. God is good and yet people die prematurely. God is good. Ah, the same God that is good, that, that was good and is still good, that gave Solomon wisdom, was the same God that saw Solomon, you know, self-destruct. Praise the Lord. Financial mistakes, investment mistakes, academic mistakes. 
And a lot of us, we made academic mistakes. Yes or yes? Some of us, because when you go to 300 level, you realize you were studying the wrong course. <laughs> or some of us, you wanted to study a course. But, you know, there are courses you choose. There are courses that choose you. <laughs> you read, 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 wrote, jam, wrote, jam. The course you were choosing did not choose you. Eventually, they gave you one. And to leave home. Many of us, because you wanted to just leave home, you just took a course. Went to just any school. Not knowing that those four or five years of your life were defining years of destiny. Academic mistakes. Relational mistakes. Some of us, you have dated people that in retrospect, you could almost beat yourself up. How was that? What was I doing with that guy? How about I'm talking? Ladies in the house, will you be honest? I said, ah, knowing better, you were like, even if they dash this guy, they just say for free. <laughs> I said, guys, so you look at just, just look at some ladies. I'm like, ah, me, what pushed me to this kind of girl? What was I thinking? So you can make relational mistakes. You see, the mistakes I'm mentioning are the ones you can easily cause correct. Mistakes you don't want to make. Number one, marital mistake. <laughs> you really don't want to make that one. You can easily correct a relational mistake. You don't want to make a marital mistake. Even when you make the correction, maybe someone has made that mistake. If you make the correction, the sky is forever there. Are you ever hearing what I'm saying tonight? Geographical mistake is another mistake you want, don't want to make. You know why? Destiny is geographic in nature. God made places before he made people. We don't choose our place. God decides our place and leads us to our place. Genesis 26, the Bible says, a famine arose apart from the famine that was in the days of Abraham. And the Bible says, Isaac decided to go to relocate himself. And Isaac, you see, okay, go to verse 2. Go to the second verse. Genesis 26 and verse 2. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Don't go down to Egypt. Dwell in this land which I shall tell you of. You see, he was going to change location. But God said, don't go. Stay here. If he had gone, the promises God made to Abraham that was supposed to be transgenerational would have ended with him. And that's why God intercepted that plan. He said, don't go down to Egypt. Stay here. He said, and in this place, I'm going to bless you. And did God bless him or not? God did. If you read further down, the Bible says the man waxed great. Because in that same land where God told him of, the Bible says he sowed. The reason why he prospered was not because he just sowed. Because every other person was sowing. The reason he prospered was because he sowed where God told him to sow. Am I making sense? Another mistake you don't want to make hmm, is occupational mistake. Occupational mistake. Let me tell you this. Your work is important to God. Am I making sense? <laughs> if you're supposed to be a musician, hmm, and you are a doctor, you will be a frustrated doctor. In fact, you will not be healing people, you will be killing them. How many of us are talking about? You go, to, <laughs> you, you, you go to some hospitals. When you see some doctors and nurses, you know that if this one prescribes a medication for me, I'm dead. Because you can see that they are not excited. Their mind is not saying what they are doing. <laughs> Or you get a legal practitioner to represent you. And if he messes up, you now get a quack lawyer. They just sentence you to life in prison. <laughs> uh, you stole a tuba of yam. They give you life imprisonment for tuba of yam. Because you didn't get the right lawyer. The lawyer that did not read. I remember <laughs> when he was in school. I, remember, I, can't, I, I can't remember who told me this. But the person said she went to the hospital you know, and while she was going into the hospital, you know, she passed a particular nurse, you know, and she said, two nurses said, they, you know, they were doing TikTok videos, you know, so he said she was just like all these young nurses, you know, so she sat at the waiting room, they took her vitals and everything, you know, so he said, eventually when it was her turn, you know, and she got into a particular, you know, room, the person that was going to attend to her was one of the nurses. <laughs> he said, she just said, excuse me, she ran away. <laughs> So if it's one of these people that's going to attend to me, I may just end up dead. Because there is a seriousness that comes with certain professions. A measure of seriousness, right? There are certain professions that when you see people do certain things, you're like, this one cannot be serious. Occupational mistake is a mistake you don't want to make. And I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice. If you are doing the wrong thing, may God reposition you. 
in the name of Jesus. Some people are supposed to be career people. They are doing business. And some people are supposed to be doing business. They are in career. And that's why every day they get frustrated. They get frustrated. Every of, every of your frustration comes to an end. In the name of Jesus. Also social mistakes. Social mistakes. They are part of the mistakes you don't want to make. Especially when it comes to the choice of friendship. The people you allow and give access into your life. Because the moment you give access, you have also permitted influence. You see, you can't give someone access and withdraw influence. People need to understand that. The moment I give you access into my life, I've also permitted influence. I've permitted you to, without telling you, without having the conversation, I've permitted you to influence my life, my future, and my destiny. And for those of us, you know, that have kids, that you're married, please understand that the people you also allow to come around your kids, they are influencing the future of your children. The words they say, their body language, kids are picking those things up and you are picking it up whether you like it or not. Or whether you are aware of it or not. That's why, have you ever caught yourself using a slang? You just say something one day and you're like, ah, where did I learn this? Go and check it. More often than not, the people around you were saying it. And so the day an opportunity came for you to respond, it just came out of your mouth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Another mistake you don't want to make is fellowship mistake. Fellowship. Fellowship. And this talks about spiritual fellowship. Don't be part of a church out of sentiment. I hope you are not part of the gateway out of sentiment. <laughs> because let me tell you this. One of the things that influences your life the most as a believer is your choice of where to worship. Your choice of where to worship. I've seen people join churches because of light. Thank God we have light. I've seen people join church because of AC. Thank God we have it. But those are reasons that makes no sense. Because whoever speaks to you week and week out is going to form your ideologies, form your mindset, form even the things you can trust God for. There are some people you sit under them for a while, your vision will just die. You just realize that your thinking becomes so small. You become more aware of circumstances than what God is saying. We're having a conversation today in the office, you know, and one of us just mentioned that this country, I said, finish the statement. And I said, I know, Pastor, that's not what happened. Because there are things you cannot just see around me. And let me tell you this, it didn't start now. It has always been like that, even when I had nothing. Even when I had, you see, because when we say something, other people will be like, you know, Pastor, you know, and they say, you know, first lady, you have money. That's how we had the money. That's how we got to where we are. And let me tell you this, we have not even started. And if I understand how I got here, I understand how we go to where I'm going. Somebody hear what I'm saying? Fellowship mistake. You can't afford to be sentimental about it. I remember growing up. I grew up, I, I, you know, grew up in a church, grew up in a Christian home. But 2002, I had my pastor for the first time and the gospel made sense. That was the last time I went to my parents' church. I wasn't sentimental about it. I was still going once in a while, you know, I would sneak. A day just came, I just told them point blank. I have changed church. I'm not coming to your church. I'm not going to church. I'm no longer going to church. <laughs> you know. My parents were like, but eventually when they began to see the changes, they left me. You know the reason why some of you, your parents are still complaining? Because you claim to be part of a church and they don't see the reflection of the change in your life. There is no difference between where you were and where you claim to be right now. That's why. So please, friends, there are mistakes you can't afford to make. There are specific seasons and phases of life, and this is what I said I wanted to tell us that you should write down. Where your mistake has to reduce. Ages 0 to 20 is what I call experimentation phase. You can experiment with your life if you are between the ages 0 and 20. It's not encouraged, but you can. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hmm. You can try many things at 0 to 20 and life will forgive you for it. That's why you notice that most of the mistakes that people make between 0 and 20, you know, eventually down the line in destiny, they recover from it. Please keep listening. Age 20 to 30 is what I call correction phase. Did you hear what I said? So whatever mistake that you will make, or especially major mistakes... 
like having the wrong friends, being in the wrong church, uh, studying the wrong course. All those things you should have done it from. By the time you are between 0 and 20, you should have realized, ah, I studied the wrong course. So when you come out of school, you can now take different professional courses. Haven't you seen people who went to school and when they came out, they were doing something else? Because they realized I studied the wrong thing. So now you can correct it. You can't be experimenting when you are in your 40s. Destiny is already getting late. You can't be experimenting in 30s. You're already behind schedule. You hear what I'm saying? 20 to 30 is the best time to correct your errors. Now you realize, oh, I've made this mistake. Now I need to correct this. 30 to 45 is what I call establishment phase. Establishment phase. This is the phase of establishment. You have corrected your mistakes. Now you have realized that these are the things I'm supposed to be doing with my life. This is the church I'm supposed to be planted in. This is the person I'm supposed to get married to. These are the kind of friends I'm supposed to be, you know, hanging out with. This is the environment, the place where I'm supposed to be living. So between 30 and 45, you should be established in your decisions. That's the season of establishment. And that season, you are no longer guessing. You are no longer guessing, uh, where, 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 where am I supposed to? That's why, you see, if you study countries that open up, you know, um, open up themselves, you know, for people to relocate and all those things. Go and check the age bracket of most people they admit. It's between that age. They don't want all this. I hear what I'm saying. Because at certain age of your life, you should know where you should. You can't just be saying, you are, well, you are not Abraham. At 50 or 60, you want to be relocated. So go and do what? Washing toilet? Or doing nanny? If there is anybody currently on the path of error, I pray for you from the depths of my heart that may God reposition you. Amen. Oh, let me tell you this. I don't need to shout it. The prayer I just prayed is a very powerful prayer. See, I pray for you that may you be in the right place in the right phase of your life. Amen. See, if you are supposed to be in establishment phase and you are still making mistakes in establishment phase, that may be what is established in your life. That's the, that's the danger of it. Because see, God created times and seasons. There is a season of life where you should have discovered that. Now, you see, study, just study scriptures. You will see these things there. When did Joseph had the dream that he was going to become a world leader? At 17. At what age was um, David anointed, right? To be king over Israel. Even though he didn't become king immediately. At 17. At 30, he became king. Not the fullness of what God showed him. But at least he became king of a tribe. Eventually, I think like three years later, he became king of the whole nation of Israel. He was not anointed at 35. No. At the season where you can now make all your mistakes. Now you know you are supposed to be king. Make all the mistakes. The season where you are supposed to be establishing things, establishing structures in your life. You should be able to be experimenting. You shouldn't be experimenting. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 45 to 55. Maybe I should just stop there. We don't have too many people in that age bracket. But maybe I should just write it. One day someone will refer to this. 45 to 55 is what I call expansion phase. Because there can be no expansion without establishment. I hear what I'm saying? Expansion of what I call multiplication phase. Hmm. 55 to 60 is what I call dominion phase. Dominion phase. That's why I'm always amazed at a lot of young people. Who want to, you know, I believe in the place of speed. But see, let me tell you this. There are certain things God will not entrust you with until you have gotten to a level of maturity. Go and check most of the top people, in multinationals, you know, industry, ministry, anywhere. Go and check it. They are usually within this age. When you get to a stage of dominion, it can come earlier, but usually this is the phase where it happens. Where you become an institution. When you become so established. In banking, in entertainment and whatever. If you keep doing what you're doing and successfully you can still get at this particular phase and you are still doing that thing, you will come into dominion. 60 and above is what is called legacy phase. Legacy phase. Legacy phase. At this phase, the things you are doing now affects lives, affects generations. You are now living beyond yourself. You are no longer living for prosperity. You are not living for posterity. 
Because you can't, it's not at age 60 you should not be trying to succeed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Waiting for retirement money to now build your first house. No. That's not God's plan. And I hope you know retirement is not scriptural. I hope you know. Oh, you guys don't know. <laughs> so I think I need to talk about it again. Retirement is not scriptural. You can change the way you walk, but you were never supposed to stop walking. Never. And retirement came from Germany. Study this. You go and do your research. A young man came into power and he realized this is where retirement came from. He realized that all his opposition, right, in his party, they were at a particular age frame. Every one of them were above 60. So he just passed it into law that if you are 60 or 65 and above, you should retire. With a stroke of a pen, he defeated all his enemies and made them powerless. Every other country saw it and said, ah, this is a good idea. And they implemented it. Retirement is not scriptural. That's why I go and check it. The moment people stop working and they are not productively engaged, their life just dives. Go and check it. At what age did Noah build the ark? Just study your Bible. <laughs> At what age was Abraham when he was still prospering? When he was still achieving things? When he was still taking territories? Friends, don't make a gamble with your life. You have just one life. Don't waste it. I hear what I'm saying. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your time. Hmm. When you realize you have made the mistake, I would encourage you tonight, don't stay too long with that error. Cause correct before your mistake becomes, I don't know if it's the correct English, incorrectable <laughs> or uncorrectable. What's the right word? Or before you realize you have gotten to a point you can't correct your mistakes anymore. Peter made a mistake. In betraying Jesus, when he realized the Bible says he wept bitterly, you know what he did? When he heard that Jesus had risen, he ran to the tomb. Judas didn't give himself the opportunity of redemption; he hung himself. When you realize you have made a mistake, ah, uh, the next thing to do is not in quote to hang yourself. The next thing to do is to cause correct. We have I missed it. Because one of the privileges of Christianity, right, is that we have a, an opportunity, a leverage of restoration. We serve a God, like I said, I think it was last week or on Sunday that I said it, that the God we serve is a God of second chances. Many of us blew up our second chance a long time ago. If it was a God of second chance, we would have, many of us would have been written off. He's a God of second chances. You miss it, he's still waiting for you to cause correct. However, realize that time is going. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. Like the prodigal son, don't be too afraid or too ashamed to correct your errors the moment you realize I've missed it. Don't be too ashamed and don't be too afraid. That was the problem of Samson. Samson realized he had made a mistake. Instead of asking for restoration and redemption, he asked for vengeance and self-destruction. That's what he asked for. He said, God, just give me the opportunity once again. Give me power. And he killed the Egyptians and killed himself. What a request. What a request. So how do you avoid destiny and marketplace mistakes? Number one, find out God's will for your life and walk. Find out what? God's will for your life and walk. And the thing you need to understand about finding out God's will is this. You can never find out God's will for your life if you are not a person given to the study of the word and concerted prayers. Please note, I didn't just say prayers. I said concerted prayers. Concerted prayers simply means vigorous prayers. Consistent prayers. You will never, read my lips, you will never know the will of God for your life if you only pray once a week. Or you pray hazardly. Or you only pray when you run into troubles. No, for some people, prayer is a spare tire. Once the tire of their life punctures, they now remember, ah, I can't pray. They now bring out the prayer. And because they're under pressure, they expect that God is coming up under pressure. You know, when you see some people praying, you know this is a pressure-induced prayer. You know the reason why you keep praying under pressure? Because prayer is not a lifestyle. Because if prayer is a lifestyle, the emergency will not be showing up. They would have been dealt with before things become emergencies. Ezra, chapter 8 and verse 21. Let's have it on the screen. 
Ezra chapter 8 and verse 21. Ezra chapter 8 and verse 21. Can we read together one to go, everybody? Then I proclaimed the fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God. To what? To seek from him what? To seek from him what? A right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. He said, we proclaim the fast. Why did we proclaim the fast? Not because the devil wants to finish us. He says, so that we may seek of God a right way. Because there is always a right way. I think it's the New King James that says the right way. Because a right way is not really correct. It's the right way. Because when the way is right, it is not multiple. Yeah, New King James. He said to seek from him the right way for us. And our little ones and our possessions. Our little ones means our children. So it simply means in the place of prayer, you can also know God's plan and God's will, even for your children yet unborn. You can know God's will. You can know what those children, they are supposed to do. And he now went ahead to say, and our possessions. It simply means you must also know God's will for the blessings he has brought into your life. So the reason why you have more money now is not to get more babes. That's the mistake Solomon made. It, because God said, you will be richer than every other king before you and after you. So when you have that much money and you don't know the purpose, what else will you do? I believe there were wives they married that I even never met. Because if you have 800 wives, or maybe 700, and you have 300 side chicks, how many days are in the year? How many hours are in the day? So it means you couldn't have seen every one of them in a year. Do you know how many people you have met? That you met two years ago, you met them later, and the person was introducing himself. I said, ah, I can't remember. So it simply means Solomon, one of his wives must have come across him one day. I said, I'm your wife. I said, really? When did I marry you? <laughs> when the purpose of a thing is not known, like Dr. Miles Monroe said, abuse is inevitable. He said, let us seek the right way, even for our possessions. I think it was last week I said it on Sunday. Sometimes when God brings certain resources into my life, before I touch it, I always ask, God, what's this for? What's this for? Some people just start spending. I say, ah, Omar, I don't armor. <laughs> I don't armor. Eventually, when God reveals the purpose of that resources, you have finished it. And that's why God can't trust you with things. Some people are... If they are broke today and one millionaire enters their account, that one millionaire, they can't leave it untouched for another one week. Say, ah, it will say, provision has come. They'll just start, you don't even know the purpose. Especially when it's an unusual resource. And let me tell you this, for those of us that are business people, there are times in the life of your business that you just realize that you are getting clients with least efforts. You are not doing much, but jobs keep coming you will be very ignorant to be boiling huh and just believe in anyhow because oftentimes when god brings abundance abundance is always preceded by famine never forget that there were seven years of abundance they were planting yet they were getting more than they would have gotten in normal years and the reason was because famine was coming so the purpose of the excessive abundance is not to live large. It's to store up for the days of famine. For the days of famine. And you will see that the children of Israel understood this. How do I know? The Bible says at the time of famine, what did Jacob do? The Bible says he sent his sons to go buy wheat, right, from Egypt. Has anybody ever thought about that? So Jacob was not broke in the times of famine when there was global famine. He wasn't broke. That's why he had money to send the sons to go and buy. And the Bible did not say that they were hungry. The Bible did not. The Bible says, you know, they went to buy wheat, what they wanted to buy. It just means that they didn't have that specific thing that Egypt was supplying, but every other thing they had. Because remember, the Bible says they also went with gifts for Joseph. So they understood that. Find out God's will for your life. It's so amazing that in these days, these days and in this age, we don't hear much about it anymore. 
When I was growing up, you hear people talking about God's purpose, God's purpose for your life, God's will for your life. Today, people don't hear it anymore. It's amazing. But we need to start hearing it again. Proverbs 16 and verse 25. The Bible says there is a way that seems right. Can we have it on the screen, please? There is a way. Proverbs 16 and verse 25. It says there is a way that seems right unto a man. It says, but its end is what? It's the way of death. Now, look at what it says. It says there is a way that seems right. See, every wrong decision always looks right. That's why people make wrong decisions. There is no wrong decision that will look like a wrong decision. Don't you get it? If it looks like a wrong decision, will you be making it? No. It's not going to look like a wrong decision. That's why the Bible says there is a way. It seems right to men. But the end will lead to the death of things. Death of families. Death of finances. Not just physical death. Not the cessation of existence. But that things will just get destroyed. You keep losing things. Why? Because you follow the path that you thought was right. They told you that in our village, this is how we do things. But the way you do it in your village, does it align with God's word? It seems right, but it is, is it right? Find out God's will. And you do that by praying a lot and being a student of the word. You would always miss out on God's plan for your life if you are not given to the study of the word. Reading the Bible is not the job of pastors. Reading the Bible is the job of every believer. I hear what I'm saying? That's why you should avoid the environments where they exalt the pastor as a superpower that everybody must come to and take tally number. You know, some pastors, that's what gives them joy. Everybody just lines up. Say, ah, I feel anointed today. People want to see me. You will die. You can't even expand. You can't grow that way. You can't grow. Everybody must see you. They want to travel. You must fall lay hand on them before they can travel. You pray the prayer of protection. Oh, is somebody getting something out of this tonight? Find out God's will for your life and your work. Number two, surround yourself with men who prioritize sensitivity above sensibility. Hmm. Did you hear what I said? Surround yourself with men who prioritize sensitivity above sensibility. The quality of your decisions can never be better than the quality of the people in your life. If everybody in your life always pays attention to logic, you want to do something, you say, ah, does it make sense? Everything is about sensory perceptions. You never have friends. There is nobody in your life that asks you, have you prayed about it? Nobody is asking you that question. Nobody is asking you, have you prayed about it? What is God saying to you about it? Everybody's just logic. Everybody's just sense. The quality of your decisions will be largely dependent on what has been referred to as your reference group. Your reference group. Now, a research was done, you know, in Harvard, and it's been done in many other institutions, you know, and what they discovered was that people become the average of their reference group. And the reference group are the people you spend time with, the people you talk with the most, the people that are your first call of report anytime something happens to you, unconsciously. So, if you get a promotion, or, God forbid, something happens to you that you were not expecting, who do you talk to first? Who are the people you talk to first? That's your reference group. And apart from what the Bible has already told us, research has proven that your life can be better than your reference group. Your reference group, using English, is the people you refer to. Anytime you need an idea, you need wisdom, you want to take a step, who are the people you bounce it off? Just think about it. And every one of us, it's not that, you know, I mean, I don't have reference group. You already have. The problem is many people, our reference group is unconscious. We didn't build our reference group deliberately. We just realize, oh, part-time, some people are just close to you. You don't even know how they became close to you. You don't know. And so when you look at your life, you say, and this thing is very, I've, let me tell you this, I've done this. I've researched it personally, I've observed it, and it works. Like I've told us a couple of times, if you have four, prof, four poor friends, you are the fifth. I don't care how much is your bank account. Eventually, your income will be the average income of the people you spend time with the most. If you have four rich friends, 
Even if you are broke at the moment, just wait. Stay in that environment. Eventually, you'll become the fifth. It's only a matter of time. That's why even the Bible says, those who walk with the wise will be wise, and the companion of fools will be destroyed. Those who walk with those who make right decisions will make right decisions. Those who walk with those who make foolish decisions will make foolish decisions. It's only a matter of time. How do people pick up bad habits? Through association. Most people that smoke, somebody encourage them to do it. Kilon share, try it now. Ah, you're a big boy now. You do. <coughs> they say, come on, try it again, try it again. Say, ah, you the dollars now, try it again. Because you want to impress your reference group, you try it again. Before you know it, now you can smoke can come out of your nose, come out of your hair, come out of your. You now say, ah, the door, you to your day. And you don't know your kidney is dying. They encourage you to do it. The first time I tasted, tasted alcohol, it was in a collective. See, there's something called collective hardship. Things don't become hard for people individually. It's always collective. Go and check it. That's why you notice rich people live in a place. Poor people also live in a place. Destiny has assigned it that way. Go and check it. It's, they just gravitate towards each other unconsciously. People just, that's why you say birds of the same feather do what? They flock together. They flock together. You want to change your destiny, you want to change the quality of decisions you make, go and look for people making right decisions and force yourself into their midst. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Uh, you force yourself there. And there's a way you can track it when people are making right decisions. You just see their life. And there's a way to also track it when people are making wrong decisions. You just see their life over time. Say, ah, I don't want my life to become like this. So you cause correct. Surround yourself with men who prioritize sensitivity above sensibility. The four lepers in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3 to 8, the reason they didn't die with hunger was because they encouraged each other. The Bible says they said to themselves, Why sit we here till we die? If we go back into the city, we are lepers, they won't accept us. If we go into the Syrian camp, they may also kill us. So, but why sit we here till we die? Let's do something. The Bible says, and as they took steps, not knowing that a prophecy has been made in the city, that within 24 hours, food will become so cheap. But God needed the full steps of lepers. Somebody needed to do something for prophecy to become a reality. That's what this idea of prophecy and doing nothing. Ah, you'll be prophetically broke. When prophecy comes, you must always find out what is my own part in making prophecy a reality. The Bible says, as the lepers took steps, God amplified their full steps such that the Syrian, they were hearing a mighty army and they said, eh, the king of Israel has hired mercenaries to fight for him. The Bible says they left all their possession, left food, left everything, everything that could feed and clothe a whole nation, they left it behind. But how did that happen? The Bible says they had conversations. Why should we sit here till we die? Conversation. It was their reference group that changed things. Number three, read and research on every area in which you want to make a critical decision. Read and research, or should I say study, and research on every area in which you want to make a critical decision. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2, the Bible says, And I, Daniel, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books. The number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. I understood by books. There are certain things you will never know if you are not given to reading. And people say, I'm not the reading type. Whatever type you are, you cultivated it. You hear what I just said? Whatever type you are, you were influenced to become by that type because of where you grew up and the people you are currently surrounded with. And you can't keep giving excuses of who raised you. You see, you can be born in a place, you can reborn yourself. Permit my English, but you understand what I'm saying. You can, you, you can. <laughs> there's something called a rebirth. Such that when people look at you, you are, there is a total difference between where you grew up and who you have become. You can't keep using your environment as an excuse. The moment you become an adult, and an adult begins at the age of 16. You can't keep using that as an excuse. And in my house, we don't read. Uh, nobody. You're still saying that in your taxes? Hmm. Why should you have make, corrected that between 20 and 30? 
stage of establishment, you are still giving excuses. Wake up. Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. Oh, you're not saying it like you're supposed to say. Say, wake up. Wake up. You see, I don't think anybody is serious who wants to make a critical decision, who has not read anything in the area in which they want to make a critical decision. I don't think that person is serious. Really, I don't think the person. I just think that person is making a gamble with their life. If you check my study, I can't tell you how many books I have on singleness. When I was single, I read books. How do I maximize this season of my life? I, want, I also once fell into that error. All my friends had babes. So me too, I looked for a babe when I was on campus. Wasted effort, wasted time, wasted resource. And I remember when I was on campus, my pastor told us, all of us, he said, all these relationships, and then, ah, old school man, he said, he said, it's a waste of time. 98% of our relationship did not work. All of us that were in relationship, 98% did not work. I shared them. Wasted efforts. Sometimes I think back, what if I had used that money to buy books? Use the money. I will still have my books now. Some people bought gifts on Valentine's Day that has no business with Valentine. Has no business. No business. Want to get married? You have never read any book on marriage. And you expect it will just work out? I can guarantee you there's a likelihood it will not work. I can guarantee you. Even though you attend a church like this, I can tell you. You say counseling, you don't attend counseling. The message we preach, even love lounge, you don't listen to it. You just say, I know God will do it. And that's how he does it. That's how he does it. Someone is struggling financially. They have never read any book on finances. No book on kingdom prosperity, no book on investment, no book on financial management. They just say, I'm not the reading time. So you expect that one person will sit down with you all your life and be telling you what to do. Really? I'll never forget, my pastor told me, I think that was 2007. He said, I can't, we don't have the time to answer all your questions. He said, but if you are given to observation, you will learn a lot. So one of the things I noticed about my pastor is that he reads a lot and he buys books a lot. There's, there's this, um, um, a summit in the U.S., a leadership summit called the Global Leadership Summit. I think it was 2000, and we're in 2024, right? I think the year was 2000 and maybe 12 or 13 thereabout. I can't remember the specific year now, but I think around that time. That was the first time my pastor was going for that conference. And that conference, it started that conference. The first edition was held maybe I think in the late 80s or early 90s. When he came back, all the CDs, all the resources, from the first year they started to the year he attended, he bought everything and brought it to Nigeria. He didn't need to tell me that's how to live. I saw it. I was just like, ah, nice. So this is one of the secrets of this man, fantastic. I don't expect him to see that. I will not be asking him questions. Yes, sir. So the one you listened to in 1995, what did they say there? Some people always complain about the way you are dressing, your looks. You don't know there are books on dressing? You don't have quality relationships in your life. You don't know there are books on how to cultivate strategic alliances. Let me tell you this, most of the major areas of life, we have thought about it in this church. This is a very practical church. The message you don't listen to, books you don't read. Most likely you will make mistakes. I hear what I'm saying. But I pray for you that you will not make mistakes. Because God will create in you hunger for wisdom. In the name of Jesus. The wiser you are, the better you live. The wiser you are, the better you live. And you can't be wiser than your knowledge level. Because what is wisdom? Wisdom, right, is experience derived from applied knowledge. So it means you must first have the knowledge to put it to work. Then you now gain experience. You now understand. See, there are things that today I don't even need to pray about. I know it. There are things that when people do, because I've gotten knowledge in that area, I can tell you this is how this thing is going to end up. Why? Because of years of study. Years of study. Years upon years upon years of study. Hmm. Are you getting something out of this? Number four, increase your teachability index. Media, my time is not correct. I have 15 more minutes, not five. Please check the time. Increase your teachability index. Increase your teachability index. 
Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 13. I want us to see that scripture. It will bless you. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 13. So increase. Somebody say increase. increase. Your teachability index. What that simply means is increase your level of teachability. You see, one of the things I've realized is the older people grow, the more teachable they become. That's why you see that some of us, are, there are things you can operate now when it comes to technology. It's a reflection that your teachability has reduced. So, your parents, when you look at your parents and things that look easy to you, WhatsApp, some of us, our parents can't use WhatsApp. I was so impressed. The day my mom told me, you know, said, I will connect to all the services. I thought she was joking. He said, even the one you remove from online, go and watch it on your YouTube page. So uh, I thought she was just joking. Until she told me something in a video I uploaded, and uh, so I knew she was watching it. I was impressed. My mom is over 70. I know people in their 50s that cannot operate YouTube. Or WhatsApp. How do they press it? You know? That's teachability. And you see, you can be 20 and no longer be teachable. It's not a function of age. It's a function of art. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 13. Can we read together? Want to go? Better is a poor and a wise child than an old and foolish king. Who will what? Who will no more be admonished? He says it's better to be poor and to be a wise child than to be an old and foolish king. It means you can be in a position of leadership and be foolish. Why did he say to be an old and foolish king? He said because you can no longer be admonished. You can't be taught new things. You can't be taught new things. And most likely, if you are not teachable, you will be making so much errors. You know one of the things I've realized about people that are not teachable? They always believe they know what they are doing. I know what I'm doing. So they make decisions without consultation. You know, some people are very... <laughs> you know, sometimes... You know, if you've been a pastor for a while, you will get some... You just get some human... <laughs> You just understand some things here and there. I'm telling you, my, my experience in ministry is older than the gateway because I was a pastor before gateway started. You know, there's a way some people, because they already know, ah, so it's not seem as if I didn't tell pastor. They would have started something. Eh? Maybe they buy something. They would say, eh, pastor, I want to. <laughs> they will now tell you as if it's information. It's not. You are not asking for counsel. You have already made up your mind. And I learned from a very good pastor too. There's a way we also package this back to you. So, oh, fantastic. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Because I already know you don't need my wisdom. And Jesus said, cast not your pills before this wine. I don't give wisdom where it is not needed. No, no, I don't. I don't. Increase your teachability index. Increase it. Increase it. I hear what I'm saying. Mm. People with high teachability index, one of the things you notice about them is they never have an arrival mentality. Some people, because maybe you are making more money than everybody in your family, you are now a big girl. <laughs> You're a big boy. Everybody's looking at you and say, ah, Baba, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. How much is in the account? How much? Have you made your first $1 million? You know, you can't be using Naira now. As index of prosperity. Because you say you are a millionaire in Naira is mockery. <laughs> By the time you cross border and they change your money, yeah, yeah, it's in cents. Not even in dollars. <laughs> I say, I'm a big boy. Calm down, big boy, because you are using iPhone. People buy it in developed countries and pay for 10 years. So calm down and spread the payments. See, there are things that impress people that no longer impresses me. Some of your friends traveled and they take a picture beside the car. Say, I want a blue. Basically, it's dead. It's dead. Calm down. Don't be pressured. That car, you will pay for it for 20 years. So calm down. Hmm. You know, like the son of Apostle Peter sang. Baby, calm down. And it's Apostle Peter that sang. <laughs> Those with high teachability index, or is it not Peter? How do you know the person that sang this? <laughs> they are curious and observant. People with high teachability index, they are curious and observant. They are asking questions. When they go to places, they are observing. Their eyes working. They are curious, they are observant. 
Next, they surround themselves with those who are better and smarter than them. I know people who are teachable by the people in your circle. If you are the smartest among your circle of influence, you need new circles. I hear what I'm saying. Uh, I always say it humorously. I'm the most stupid among my friends. I'm the poorest among my friends. It's deliberate. The moment I notice I'm becoming a champion somewhere, I start acquiring new relationships. I don't want anybody to sing for me too early, like Herod. He sang his praise. Oh, almighty oh Herod. He kept receiving it. Or they say, his voice sounds like the voice of God. Because, An angel just slapped him. Thank God it was not God that slapped him. The angel died immediately. And you know when people die, you don't decay immediately. His own, so that God will put his signature there that this is not normal slap. The Bible says worms began to eat him immediately. Check the book of Acts. Qualities of people with high teachability index, they are always learning something new. Always learning something. That's how, check your own life. Is, are these things there? Are you observant? Are you curious? Are you always learning new things? Are you the smartest among your friends? My pastor told me years ago, I'll never forget. Some, you see, people who are not teachable will receive everything as an insult. My pastor looked at me and said, don't be the brightest among fools. You know, when you are, when you are surrounded with fools, with any little knowledge, you will look so wise. You say one nonsense code, they say, mm, mm, awesome. But because everybody's so dumb, you look so smart. You should reverse the equation. Such that when you will be in places that you will even be afraid to talk. Because I don't know what I will say here. Because when you look at people, you, you only have BSc. You see someone that has five certifications and they are younger than you. You will keep quiet. And you will learn. Because there is nothing you say today that will teach you anything new. You hear what I said? Many of us talk too much to learn. How do you know people with high teachability index? Another thing is they are constantly relearning the things they've learned in the past. Because they realize they may have missed out on some details. Because let me tell you this, there are things that I can assure you, if you pick up some books you read two years ago, you'll be shocked at the new things you will see in those books. You thought you have read those books. When you read those books again, but, ah, how come I did not see this? That's a limitation of humanity. Number five, seek and follow wise counsels from those who have gone before you to avoid making destiny and marketplace mistakes. Seek and follow wise counsels from those who have gone before you. Seek and follow wise counsels from those who have gone before you. Seek and follow wise counsels from those who have gone before you. Hmm. The thing about seeking wise counsel is nobody can do it for you. Did somebody hear what I just said? Nobody can do it for you. Nobody can do it for you. You must be the one to do it for yourself. You can take a horse to the river force it down there, but you can't force water into its mouth. You hear what I'm saying? You can't force people to seek for counsel. You can't. You can't force people to seek for wisdom. They must desire it by themselves. So, if you're going to be making right decisions in the year 2024 and beyond, personally as an individual, you must make up your mind that from this day forward, I will seek for wise counsel. Why did the Bible say wise counsel? Because not every counsel is wise. There are foolish counsels. There are useless counsels. There are useful counsels. And there are wise counsels. Proverbs 11 and verse 14. The Bible says, where there is no counsel. Please, let's have it, please. Let's have it, please. Proverbs 11 and verse 14. Proverbs 11 and verse 14. And after that, we'll go to Proverbs 24 and verse 6. Can we all read it together? One to go. Where no counsel is. What happens? The people fall. But in what? In the multitude of counselors, there is what? Safety. Where there is no counsel, the people do what? They fall. They fall flat on their face. They think they are so smart, but eventually it will be evident that there is no counsel. That there is no counsel. See, any area of your life where you want to fail your proof, 
you must go for counsel in those areas. And don't be too proud to assume you know what you are doing. Ah! I wish I can really say this the way it's in my heart. Hmm. I remember the day, you know, I was going to take first lady to my pastor, to Reverend and Pastor Diola. I told her, I said, as we are going to Reverend, I said, Reverend doesn't like you. That's the end. And I meant it. Because I so much believe that there are things. I said, let me tell you this. Let me give us a balance to it. If someone doesn't know you, and the person just knows you for one month, you can't say that kind of statement. The reason why I could make that kind of statement in 2014 was because I've been following a man, the same man, since 2002. So there are things this man already knows about me. So I said, there are things you will see sitting down that I will not see standing up. Many of us cannot come to that level. Be like, no, are they the ones that will decide for me? They are not the ones that will decide for you, but they have gone before you. See, friends, let me tell you this. Some of us, you are making decisions now. Your taste in your 20s may not be your taste in your 50s. You hear what I said? You didn't get it. You didn't get what I just said. Your taste in your 20s may not be your taste in your 40s. So, if you are choosing a life partner because of taste, spec, you also have spectacular problems. If it's about taste. If it's about taste. There are things bigger than taste. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why do you think people lose attraction for their spouse? When they were getting married, they were very attracted to each other. But with the passage of time, the attraction died. Why? Because their foundation of the marriage was wrong. It was on things that we change. I knew, so it was a very strategic day. I knew it was a day that Reverend and Pastor Diola would have time. So I was in the office with Reverend. I said, Reverend, I've brought somebody. As she was outside, Pastor Diola was outside talking to her. I knew, Pastor Diola is one of the very, can't wait to have her in church. She's a very quiet person, but very, very intelligent woman. Anointed, sensitive. She'll just be smiling. She'll be throwing questions. Five minutes conversation, she knows who you are. So I know after I leave, I will get the call. Aki, is it that someone you can marry or someone you can marry? Follow wise counsel from the people that have gone ahead of you. See, no matter how early you wake up in the morning and you start driving or you start traveling, you will see people. No matter how early, you will see cars in front of you. The way God has ordained, there is a reason God did not create 7 billion people on the earth at once. God's genius is that no matter what it is you want to do, someone has done something in that dimension. So that you will not keep repeating the same errors. Go after their wisdom. Go after their experience. Let me tell you this. If God positions someone in your life by privilege and you keep making the same mistake they have made, something is wrong with you. That's the nicest way I can say it. It simply means your eyes are not working. And you are not hungry. There are mistakes that my mentors have made that I can never repeat. Mistakes with people. Mistakes in leadership. Why? Because I saw certain things. So the reason why I'm privileged to follow and to have access is to see the things they have done, the places where they have fallen. So no, 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 no. I'm not going to do this. For instance, no matter how close I am to the opposite sex, I can never take picture with you putting my hand on your waist. Never. What am I looking for on your waist? As simple as, I've seen ministers who don't even know how to take pictures with the opposite sex. I've seen it. I learned that from my mentors. By observation. See, let me tell you this. <laughs> There are things, you know, there are things you can't accuse me of because I've seen. From the day one of this ministry, my hand has never touched suffering. Never. From day one. I don't see where they count it. If you say it's two naira that is there, glory to God. If you say it's two million, glory to God. If you steal it, it's between you and God. Church money has never entered my, and we now write it with a pastor. Maybe pastor removed 10,000 there. I saw it. I saw it. From day one, it has never happened. 
Someone was assigned even when we were three. Huh? Even when we were four. <laughs> you count it. Even when the people that as they are counting it, I know I don't trust them, but go and count it. I'd rather keep my ministry than lose my reputation. I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. My pastor recommended, recommended a book, you know, to me many years ago. And anyone that has a tilt for ministry, go and read that book. Should I even mention this? <laughs> Ten mistakes that keeps churches from growing. I searched for the book, searched for it everywhere. I didn't find it. I told him, I said, everybody, I didn't find the book. He said, because you can't find this in Nigeria. So I had to order for it. When I read the book, ah! I saw mistakes that even my friends were making. Mistakes. That you cannot be a pastor and be an employee under a church member. How do you want to balance it? So at office, you are an employee in church. is your pastor. I saw it. I was just like, what? That came through counsel. Every time I see my pastor, I'm always asking, at least every quarter, what book should I read now, sir? What book should I read? And trust me, I read a lot. I read a lot. But I keep asking, what book should I read? What book have you read recently, sir, that I should read? Sometimes you will refer me back to old books. Go and read it. Have you read this? I say, yes. I said, go and read it again. Sometimes what you need from a counselor is not new knowledge. Sometimes what you need is to be reminded of old truths. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So if you want to avoid mistakes in destiny, you want to avoid marketplace mistakes, you can't boycott counselors. You boycott counselors to your own peril. Some of us, your counselors are your parents. Your parents have done well in specific areas, but you despise them. You say, well, my mom is old school. Old school? But she didn't have any certification, yet your parents raised you. They didn't go to school. Ah, huh? They blow guns in English, but yet, anytime you call, mom, dad, I need money. There's always money to send. But you, with all your certification, you are still always broke. There's something to learn from those parents. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying? Have you been blessed tonight? Oh, let's begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Holy Ghost. When you pray in the Spirit, the things you have heard, the established.